0: empire podcast this week we get inside the gigantic brains of pete doctor and jonas rivera who made inside out and then ask the little people inside how it came about Uh, all that and more on the movie podcast that reacted to the news of an emoji film with thumbs down frowny face and googly-eyed poo Hello, pod listeners. I am Helen O'Hara. I am not Chris Hewitt. uh, And you're listening to the Empire Podcast, which this week is brought to you in association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or an online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Empire. That offer code again, because it's very difficult to remember, Empire. So hello, everybody. Uh, As you may have guessed, Chris is on an actual holiday. For once, he's not on a set visit. He is currently running around the Big Apple uh, with two of his mates. It's kind of like on the town, but their sailor suits are more garish. So they're having a great time, I believe. Uh, I think it's more like
1: Home
2: Alone 2.
0: More like, well, it's probably a little bit like Home Alone 2, let's well, be honest. More like
2: Escape from New York for everyone else <laughs> for in everyone New York. For everyone else yes. in New York, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, you may have heard them already, but I'm joined by two extremely lethal colleagues. I think that's the phrase. I don't know. Chris keeps saying I thought you were going it. to say handsome. I was I was gonna say handsome Dan but I was just worried it would it would give me away so if he were an emoji you've I think Dan Jolin would be he would be the monkey covering his eyes I don't quite know why it just that seems like you oh my god that's uncanny he just covered his eyes and he looks just like the monkey ook Ook indeed and with us too is James Dyer who if he were emoji would simply be the red devil face
1: (laughs) I think that's I think that's fair
2: is there a thundercloud emoji?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't use emojis. They really upset me.
2: Hmm. I like just them. I just like the classic, you know, colon, Bracket. uppercase D yeah. kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, for, yeah. a ha- very happy face. Yeah, exactly.
2: Okay. Or X, uppercase D.
1: The, it was the colon Ooh. P one yeah. that used to annoy me. It was the sort of the wagging tongue sort of emoticon there. Yeah, I can't be dealing with that.
0: Oh, mm. that, that's a very useful one. I use that all the time. I've
1: never really felt in a kind of a... a, a I can illustrate well, my mood by... Hanging my tongue out. So I'm I not think Miley Cyrus. I think
0: it's helpful. You see, if you're if you're being a little bit snarky at someone, but you don't want them to think you're actually being rude.
1: Anyone who's got an Apple Watch, that I don't have one incidentally, but that you can you can like make the emojis like um uh, you can amplify them so you can make them happier or less happy. They have they have sort of stages of you know joy.
0: Wow, just like a film we'll be getting to yeah. later in the podcast. Wonderful. So uh, we better get on to some questions. I have one here from. Um, i think i'm saying this name right at dick squinty um <laughs> aka peter woolman uh, hello peter after having gone girl ruined by an episode of selfie have you had a film or tv show ruined while watching something else that's a good question
2: i definitely have yes yeah yes um uh it was an episode of the simpsons and it was a, a gag a Mayor quimby uh, gag he's, he's speaking to a crowd full of people and he says and i'm not going to try and do the the impression he said in other news, the chick in The Crying Game is really a man. <laughs> and I hadn't seen The Crying Game at this point. Oh, no. And um, I'd kind of, some, actually somehow, I don't know how, managed to avoid actually finding that out. I yeah. really honestly, is a mystery how I managed it. But I had until I saw it. Um, but that's the gag in the film because it, all the people of Springfield are like, boo, at him after he says that. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, fair enough statute of limitations fair game but it did Um, and actually I have genuinely not seen the crying game because I can't be bothered now
0: wow I mean it's a good film otherwise Uh, even if you know the twist which you all now do spoiler yes Um, boo uh, (laughs) it is it is worth checking out how about you James?
1: I have never had anything... I don't think I've had something spoiled. I've had many things spoiled by the Empire office. Yes. Uh, Nick ruined uh, uh, a certain scene. Do you know what? I'm not even going to say what it is. A certain character, a beloved character, dies in the final season of The Wire, and Nick came up to me the day after it had aired, and I hadn't watched it yet, and just said,
2: insert name here,
1: R.I.P. Promptly murdered him.
2: Were you, were you a little bit upset?
1: I was absolutely incandescent. Uh, but even that paled in comparison to, uh, I came to Twin Peaks very, very late. Uh, like about four years or so after it had aired. But somehow, you know, pre-internet, no one had ever told me who killed Laura Palmer. Uh, and an ex-girlfriend of mine, who I had, shall we say, a problematic relationship with, came up to me on a Saturday night and just went up and said, Laura's father killed her, and turned around and walked off.
2: What is a sort of a a deliberate?
1: As as a deliberate, I'm going to ruin the show, which I know you've just discovered and are loving.
2: You see, it leaked out. I remember I was at school when Twin Peaks was on originally, and we watched it. And it leaked out. Basically, someone in my class, you know, said, "Oh, well, I've heard who did it," and then then I found out like weeks and weeks before it got to it. Because it it was I don't know how it got out there. This is pre-internet, you know. Yeah, (laughs) I ruined The Apprentice for everyone in the office. You did? Uh, yeah, the first season of The Apprentice. I
1: knew who won because I'd met the person who won randomly through a friend. And I came and said, oh, yeah, I was talking to the person who wins The Apprentice because obviously being completely inured against popular culture and not knowing anything about it, I had no idea it hadn't aired. And I just talked about it and everyone in the office just stared at me. I was like, well, <laughs> I don't understand.
0: And then they ran to the bookies. No, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. No, I would they like did to make they did not
1: take that information and profit
0: from um, yeah. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. I, I think I, I think there have been some. I, I struggle to remember specific instances. I think I saw when Harry Met Sally though before I'd seen Casablanca. And they talk about the end of Casablanca and Harry Met Sally. And the fact that she goes off with her husband instead of obviously staying with Humphrey Bogart. Come on, girl. Um, and uh, and that was obviously talked about in the film at great length. So when I went into Casablanca, I knew that. But then Casablanca is so good, it doesn't matter.
2: It's funny, isn't it? It's like this this, this thing, this whole spoiler culture thing. Let's, I mean, let's not get too into it. But... It, honestly it doesn't matter i mean i knew the ending of cat everyone knows the ending of class of casablanca because it's mm. such a classic ending you know there's there's certain things you know the ending but it, what does it matter who cares yeah. i you disagree know, and 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 also as as a child i used to read books series in the wrong order i used to watch movies in the wrong order i saw empire strikes back before i saw star wars Me too and you know, so what? I, does it matter? Does it matter that you you know that Darth Vader is Luke's father before you see... Of course it doesn't.
1: Yes, yes, a thousand <laughs> times no, yes. You really... absolute lunatic... It, of course it matters. It's, it's, oh, honestly, my brain is itching just from hearing you talk. Yes, you have to watch things in order. No, you must never know spoilers. It doesn't necessarily ruin what is an otherwise great film, but it definitely diminishes it. It is far better. I'm absolutely with JJ Abrams on this. I think everyone will be far better and enjoy movies much more if they turned up at the cinema, having never seen the trailer, having never heard anything about it, and just experienced it for the first time. I'm the complete opposite of Chris, who reads the spoilers for everything before he watches it.
0: And even stuff he doesn't watch. I
1: know. Um,
0: I'm somewhere in the middle here so I'm going to have some balance I think there is something to be said for uh, certainly a statute of limitations on spoilers the the person who wrote in and complained that we spoiled the ending of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari um, (laughs) remains wrong like just profoundly wrong Um, on the other hand I thought there was something wonderful about the fact that when the first season of Game of Thrones aired pretty much everybody I know who had read the books kept their mouths shut and we just sat there with our loved ones who hadn't read them, <laughs> and we grinned as they cried and screamed and wept. Although and
2: James James funny. did ruin something in the season one of uh, Game of Thrones for me. Did I? What did I ruin? The uh, the death of, oh, what's his face? Uh, Daenerys' brother. Uh, v- you you, you Viserys. looked at a picture yeah. of Harry Lloyd as Viserys <laughs> and went, oh, <laughs> he doesn't last long.
0: <laughs> uh, James.
1: Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Sorry, sorry, Dan. Sorry. Guilty. But obviously, it didn't diminish it for you because you don't mind spoilers.
2: No, no. Well, you know, uh, all I'm saying is there's there's more to uh, uh, it, the enjoyment of a film and to a film's quality than its plot. Yeah, okay. yeah.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Well, I think we can all agree on that. So um, before we disagree on anything else, I'm going to move us swiftly along. Okay. Let's go to news. So there has been some some good news and some bad this week. I mean, we've already touched on the fact that they're making a film based on emojis. Uh, so I feel like we should have a, a quick discussion of that. You know, they made a very good film based on Lego. Does that give you hope?
1: They made a good film uh, based on Facebook as well. So, you know, hope springs eternal. But no, this is the end of civilization as we know it. We should all just <laughs> kill ourselves
2: now. I think that's fairly safe to say. Well,
0: that's that's the balanced viewpoint. Uh, Dan, can you give I us any hope?
2: I am open-minded. Yes, However, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I look. I mean, you, I, I still can't get my head around how they're going to make a movie of Monopoly. You know, the board game thing, uh, and obviously they failed to make a movie about Battleship. This is just, uh, you know, Lego. Lego, I get. I mean, there was a really nice concept at the heart of it, and I'm interested to see how the Minecraft movie will not just do the same thing, but this just really what? I mean, and you know. um Sony Pictures Animation as well. Uh, uh, the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies, brilliant. Yes. Hotel Transylvania, yeah. So, yeah, it's, when I hear more about what the story actually is and whether there's any actual characters in it and and whether or not they have that thing that we were just talking earlier about earlier, which is a plot, I mean, you know, once I hear more, I, I'll tell yeah. you what I think, but I, I re- remain scared. Skeptically open minded.
0: <laughs> Nicely put.
1: Are we so devoid of ideas that this is what it's come to? Taking that pieces of non punctuation and turning them into narrative. It's on it's the end of days. This is a sign <laughs> of the apoc it's in the Bible. It's honestly. It's in is the it? Bible. I mean yes.
0: you're a theologian, yeah, so I, am. I I trust right, it's you. A, on
1: it's that. a lesser known imprint of the Bible, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, it's uh...
2: actually true. I have been noticing cats marrying dogs yeah uh, cats and
1: dogs living together mass (laughs) hysteria emojis falling from the sky into our cinemas i don't know i mean i'm gonna make a movie i'm gonna write a screenplay about apostrophes because you know brilliant
0: I mean, they do feature in a lot of screenplays, but they've never really had their day in the sun. (laughs) They've never shown. So I look forward to seeing that. And let's move on to happier stuff. Now, obviously, um, podcasts are an audio medium, so it makes perfect sense to talk now about trailers. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And there have been two really very exciting ones this week. This is uh, the Spectre trailer, the first real look at the new James Bond film, and The Revenant, which I think we're all extremely excited about, uh, which is obviously DiCaprio's Western starring. Or
2: effort. is it a Western? Or is it, isn't it? It's not technically a Western, is no. Is it what, a,
0: when a I say Northern? Techni-
2: yeah, well, when I say technically, I mean, uh, it doesn't, I don't think, I don't believe it takes place in the period from the end of the Civil War to the uh, end of the 20th century, which is when Westerns tend to be set. It's more of a frontiers kind of story, an okay. earlier frontier story, but it's based on, I want to say the truth. I want to say a true story. I believe that. I believe be it's true. based on a novel, which was based on a true story. Right. Um, but I, I correct me. Write in. <laughs> Come in. Email us if I got that wrong. No. Um, but it's it's uh, yeah. DiCaprio plays a guy who is uh, uh, left attacked by a baron left for dead. And then he, because Revenant, uh, if you've seen The Returned, which is Les Revenant, you will know that it means The Returned. So he comes back to get his vengeance. So it sounds very sort of... No,
0: just to be clear, that's not the vengeance on the bear. That's the vengeance on the people who left him. Is that which correct? is a
2: shame, because I'd like to see Man versus Bear. I mean, yes, that would also well, be an exciting film. Uh well we seen the edge. I mean, you know, there's there's what there, there is about, there is that. Yeah. But um no, it's it's a very sort of straightforward plot. It feels very familiar, but you watch that trailer and it just seems like something else entirely. It looks it looks like a kind of, you know, apocalypse now, <laughs> but, but in the mountains. Yeah.
0: Well, but here's the thing, right? Now, this is what I've heard about The Revenant. I don't know how common knowledge this is. Um, they've been shooting entirely by natural light, mm. apparently, uh, and they've only managed to get about 15 minutes shooting a day as a result, um, certainly for, for parts of, of the shoot. Mm. Um, so it's basically Lebeski's third consecutive Oscar for best cinematography presumably uh, i mean other cinematographers are going nuts for this thing
2: this is deacon this has got to be deacon's year for sicario sorry just saying i, I just saying i, I 13 times no 12 times nominated know, never won
0: i know but this is the thing that people are losing their minds yeah, over
2: I
3: suppose. so
0: it's going to be interesting because honestly i would agree i i mean deacon's is a, a two decades overdue one decade I mean easily Uh, but at the same time I'm not sure this is anybody else's year this is that's a huge huge commitment to take Mm. on Uh, so full marks to uh, Chivo and uh, Inyaritu for for daring Mm. something so so completely crazy yeah
2: no it sounds honestly it just sounds like an absolute uh, crazy nightmare of a shoot Uh, you know the isn't this the reason that Tom Hardy couldn't do Suicide Squad in the end? Because it overran so much, because the weather was wrong, they couldn't get the right light, they had to wait around for ages. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It's, uh, it's a great story all around. Yeah. I love it.
0: And there is something special about the light in that trailer. It does look amazing, so I'm quite mm. excited. You can't and beat natural light. No.
1: And yet only the second most exciting trailer we saw this week.
0: Indeed. So talk to me about Spectre.
1: Bond is back. That's all there is to say. Uh, I was very excited, but then I mean that's redundant, isn't it? When were we not going to be? It's a Bond trailer. It's got Bond. You've got Christoph Waltz being, you know, about as blofeldy as it's, He's basically holding a cat in all but literal sense. But it's it's great to see it all cut together. It looks fantastic. Dan, you're you're a, a Bond nut as well, aren't you? So yeah,
2: yeah. I I thought I thought it looked amazing. I thought it looked spectacular. Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, you could see everything there that you want from a Bond movie. Obviously, globe trotting. Uh, beautiful women, but also, you know, now they're kept sort of like they're looking like properly empowered, you know. Sort of, you know. Leia Sadu looks great, don't you think?
0: Uh, she, she does. Looks like yes. she's really
2: crucial to the story, as uh, opposed to just you know being a bit of kind of dressing around the yes. edges. Yes, I
0: mean we're definitely we're definitely um, uh, cleaving close to the idea that uh, one out of every two women is evil, I suspect, mm. or or doomed. Yeah, you, you can be either evil or doomed. It's up to you, kids. <laughs> um, but uh, but sure, yeah. Mm. I mean, she looks uh, interesting.
2: The Bond women looked sure. great. Yes, uh, I thought. Uh, I'm uh, ridiculously excited about the prospect of Christoph Waltz mm. as the Bond villain. Um, yeah, is one of those. I do feel like we're having a John Harrison situation Very with Christoph so. Waltz in this film, Very much where so. the official line is just, just, just feels so obviously a sham. Where it's just like, yeah, come on, why didn't why didn't you just all just say it's Blofeld and let's all enjoy the fact? But again, could be wrong. James, I am the architect of all your pain. Yeah, oh. I do. I do think this is obviously. <laughs> does it this, have
0: to be personal though? D- does it? <laughs> yeah, that,
1: I mean, it's always personal. That's
2: the thing. I do. Pre- uh, you know, this this isn't a diss at this new Bond, which I'm absolutely enjoying. But I do prefer Bond when he's. N- it's not personal, and he's he's. I like the fact that he's an. He's licensed to kill. He's it's his job so i like almost like the way that you know he doesn't have an investment personally in what's happening he's just having to do the things that other people won't do in order to save the world um and this new bond cycle if you like is is making it more more about the character and everything but it's fine i mean we you you know that's the flexibility of the character and the joy of character you can do lots of different things with it so you know fine let's let's it makes it more interesting in some ways but i don't know i just like the idea of bond being just a cold professional Mm. I'd have
1: liked to see a little bit more Bautista in the trailer. There was a, there was a flash, yeah, a was glimpse. A, there's a, a few
0: flashes, I think, but it's always very much, uh, you know, I think the, I think a couple of the punches that seem to come <laughs> well, from his. various directions seem, are, are his because mm. they were, you know, large and and intimidating. Uh, I I really wish him well because I met him on set of Guardians of the Galaxy and he is the nicest man ever. He just looks like a terrifying beast. Um, so it's good that he's getting to use those looks uh, in the pursuit of... Well, beating up James Bond, which I also approve of, so this is a win-win for me. Mm. Um, and Andrew Scott
2: as well, brief appearance. Yes, with yes. N-
0: with no explanation, mm. no context, no hints as to mm. what he might be doing. Mm. Just standing there, looking like Moriarty, basically.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which leads me to believe that he's uh, not to be a trustworthy character <gasps> in, in this. What
0: Andrew Scott not trustworthy? Yeah.
2: But then I thought that about Ray Fiennes in in Skyfall. True. I thought he was going to be mm. uh, 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 a nefarious type, and then he ended up being M indeed but then you never know maybe he's a member of Spectre and even though he's M <gasps> imagine that
0: that would be clever they haven't done that before don't no really they have
2: haven't they? they haven't actually had M be the bad guy although Mission, the first Mission Possible film kind of did that
0: I guess League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did that the book
2: it did you're right Hail Spoiler. Spectre.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hail Hydra damn it um, I'm sticking to my guns and there was also slightly worrying news uh, in terms of
2: Goonies what was worrying, Helen? Goonies <laughs> never What's say die. Worry- What's worrying about this situation? Well, Goonies
0: never say die and they do say reboot, basically, is, yeah. is the concern. Um, everybody always says reboot, don't they? So uh, it is now the Goonies' turn. It's a surprise it's taken this long. It's been, you know, rumoured many times over the years and it looks like we're in for it.
1: Who's involved, Helen?
0: Well, it's the person who's been involved basically all along. It's Chris Columbus. Now, he is a guy who we know can launch a kid's film. Um, I give you Harry Potter, uh, among many, many others. Um, so uh, he did the first Home Alone as well, didn't he, of course? He so did, he, yeah, can, yeah, he, yeah. He, can, he knows his onions in this respect. Um, and this uh, they are calling this a reboot. Last time they were sort of talking about it being a sequel and having the, the, the Goonies be the parents of the new Goonies. Um, and it's not clear if this will still be the case. Um, it's still pretty much in the early stages, but it's basically a reaffirmation that Chris Columbus is still working on a Goonies film.
2: Let's be honest, though. The original. Yeah. Not actually that great, is Oh, it? my God. And not actually you. that and great. It's like I, I, have, I have a fondness towards it. I liked it as a kid, but it's not... It doesn't hold up in the way that Back to the Future holds up. It doesn't hold up in the way... Obviously, the original Star Wars trilogy you're holds professionally up professionally. wrong. What? What? It's it's brilliant. It's the Goonies. It has a scene at the end where someone refers to an octopus that wasn't in the film.
1: Ah, uh, it was in the film. It's just not in the final cut of the film.
2: Yes, that's exactly my point. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Uh, It's the kind of scene, it happens. What do you want? Uh, I don't know. I I really like it. I think it's great. You know, I love the the, the Fratellis. I love Sloth. I like the adventure. Perhaps this is just me showing my age. It feels like it's missing from a lot of sort of kids' adventure films these days. That sort of, you know, that sense of sort of mustiness and and the practical effects and the sets and like the organ when they're pressing and the gag, if you get it wrong, we'll all be flat. Come on! Data with his boxing glove and his pincers of power. It's, you know, it's... And the truffle shuffle... There's nothing about this film that isn't brilliant. You're just wrong.
2: Okay, well, I'm just saying. You hold it up against some of those other kind of, you know, Amblin-style 80s adventure things. and I'm, I'm not sure it's 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 A-grade. It's a kind of B-grade.
1: You're B-grade.
0: Harsh, harsh.
2: Mm. But reboot it. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why not? It's just like, Dan whatever. It's, we, we, we're, we're, this is the context of a world where an emoji movie is being made. I mean, you know. <laughs> He's not wrong. Uh <laughs> reboot is just like, <laughs> fair news. It's the least of the effects. Bring along. Let's have some fun. But do it practical. Like James said, mm. do it practical effects. No CG allowed. Right? Okay. No. I'm laying down the Ooh. law right now. Columbus, you're listening to me. I'm sure he is, Dan. Listening to me. Keep it in camera, dude. Mm. Wow. Keep well, it in camera.
0: Strong words there from, from Dan Jolin. Yeah. Uh, Columbus, I'm sure you're listening, so hope that helps. That's the big news, I think, this week. Uh, Rob McElhenney took over the Minecraft movie. That's still going ahead. Um, They're
1: building it Mm. brick by brick. (laughs) uh,
0: Kate Blanchett, who's directed quite a lot of theatre, I think I'm right in saying, is now directing uh, Australian TV drama Stateless. Uh, So look out for her becoming uh, a kick-ass movie director, hopefully sometime in the future. And The Rock is once again teaming up with the San Andreas director Brad Payton for a Rampage
2: that being the adaptation of the computer game yeah in which King Kong and Godzilla like well actually a- sort of fight each actually, other to be- destroy the most buildings not
1: Godzilla it's, it's there are three people uh, and it's <laughs> Ralph is the wolfman and Lizzie... No, he's
0: definitely not the wolfman. He's something like the wolfman. No, this man. is what I'm saying.
1: Ralph is the wolfman. He's the man that becomes a wolf I'm, in the right. literal sense. Lizzie is the lizard. And I can't remember the name of the guy who becomes George. the gorilla. George, who becomes a gorilla. Yes. yes. Ralph was always my favourite. Anyway, the point is, is they get the three humans, they get magically turned into these big things and then they have to smash buildings as quickly as possible within the time limit. That is the game. I played it quite a lot on the ZX Spectrum back in the day. Quite a lot of
2: fun but it yeah, is I, just punching buildings. I remember it I remember it being being fun. Um, but Not, I mean, known it's, for its story. It's like, you know, so they just done San Andreas in which lots of buildings collapse. Mm. Uh, then yeah. before that, they did Journey to Mysterious Island yes. in which an entire island collapsed. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler. And <laughs> really, <laughs> and now it's going to be another film with The Rock and lots of buildings collapsing. But oh.
0: here's here's the thing. Like, what do you want The Rock to do in your film apart from make buildings collapse? I don't even understand what you're complaining. Drive,
2: about. drive cars? Okay, fair enough. Into buildings and make them (laughs) collapse.
0: There we go. Now it's time for uh, this week's interview. Pete Doctor is the man behind Monsters, Inc. and Up, so he's already earned his place in movie heaven. That's safe. Uh, Now he brings us on a journey into the mind that makes the numbskulls look like complete numbskulls. Uh, Inside Out is, and this is a spoiler for the reviews section, this is amazing, and we asked Doctor and Jonas Rivera, who's the producer, to tell us all about it.
3: Let's get cracking. We're joined on the Empire podcast by Jonas Rivera and Pete Doctor to talk to us about the new Pixar movie Inside Out. Hi. Um, As a professional journalist, we normally try not to say how much in love with a film we are before we start an interview, because it (laughs) seems somehow unprofessional. Uh, (laughs) But I just can't not say that I'm totally in love with this movie. And it's a film that, it's kind of like... Y- y- Pixar films are stuffed with Easter eggs, so they, they obviously they obviously kind of reward repeat viewings. But I kind of wanted to sit in the cinema after it finished and watch it again. Good. Can you tell that's me nice. how many viewings you think would be optimum on this movie? Because cool. there's so much going on in it. Oh, that's a great question. Well, if
4: you watched as much of us, just start devoting the next five years of your life yeah. and hit
5: play. <laughs> <laughs> we do, though. The, I don't know the number. That's a really cool thing to yeah, think about. Is. But we always thought, we're big like Disneyland fans, mm. and we always thought about it like, riding Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland, where every time you go through it, even now, my life going there, I see something new every time. And so we try to make the films rich enough and full of little
3: things that we've put in there so that on repeat viewings, it's still a sense of discovery. Yes, you destroy, you reward your love of Disney Disney World, Disneyland, by destroying the castle in the film. (laughs) Yeah, we do, we do. (laughs) That's right. That makes me laugh every time. I don't yeah. know why. That's not one of those things that Disney be like... It's <laughs> like glitter. Yeah. yeah, it's like insulting the Pope or something. something. you just can't do within the Disney family. <laughs> right. The castle.
5: Well, well, it's high stakes. It's, our, you it know, it's imagination
3: is. land. It's, things it, are changing. Yeah. Stuff happens. What can you say? It's not our fault. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not our fault. We <laughs> <You> made it. <laughs> it's totally okay. It is our fault. I mean, it has been. I think 2009 was the inception of the project. Right. So that's six years ago, obviously. Is there... How do you sort of keep... Because you've kind of gone off and helped with other, with other Pixar films in the interim. Mm-hmm. Come mm-hmm. back to it. Mm-hmm. The story's developed. You've let go of things, added things. How do you keep sort of a perspective on this? Do you ever feel like you're just too close and you're not quite yeah. sure what's working, what's not working? Well, uh there are times when
4: that does happen. You get so close, and, and we have processes. Processes is that the pre- mm-hmm, pronunciation? I think uh, to allow for uh, perspective. We we screen uh, the film. We basically we make the film in some sort of like storyboard, the hand drawn version, um, and we screen it for other people mm. every three months. And that has the uh, effect of making you step back and looking at it as a film because you, you like you say you have a tendency to get in there and hone things, and you really get into fine
3: details. So those screenings, I think, are pretty essential to keeping us um, right. fresh. And you guys at Pixar, within the Brains Trust and within the bigger Pixar family, are not afraid to say what you really think about stuff to sometimes, each other.
5: Sometimes we're afraid, but we know that it has to be said. Yeah, we know? rely on it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. That's our chance to look at it as a movie, think about what the audience might think, and just talk to it on a level of what confuses us. Yeah, because
4: look, I mean, every one of these films is pretty lousy. Some of them downright suck. And then they're at varying degrees of, of crappy uh, for for quite a long time. The worst would be that we didn't tell each other the truth and we release them and they're crappy. Yes. So what we're trying to do is hedge that, cut that off
3: at the pass and, and get the crappy out. <laughs> Nobody comes up to you and go, Pete, your film is at a stage of crappy, but I can see less crappiness in the future and then possibly something good beyond that. We don't quite
4: phrase it that way, but it's essentially that's
3: what the notes are. They- <laughs> yeah, we... <don't- laughs>
5: Sometimes maybe we hear that, but more often than not, you hear things like uh, someone like Andrew Stanton in a room you know, saying, you know what, I, I see where you're going, but I don't care. I can I don't think the, you're giving the audience enough to care about to pull them through, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your main
4: character, I
5: don't like your yeah. main character. That was one we got a lot did, in this film. With Joy, really? she was yeah. hard to she was hard to find because, well, her, her name's Joy, she's so written out of the kind of gate, she's just positive all the time. Happy, believes everything's going to work. Energetic, energetic, and as you even say that, you can imagine, you know, it's a character you kind of want to run away from, and yeah. she's the main <laughs> character, and you need to. <clears throat> so we ha- we worked hard to, and based on notes so we would get in feedback to course correct and find the right path to to write her. Yeah,
3: she could be like a young version of one of those breakfast TV anchors. Yeah, so you're like, I'm okay with ten minutes with this. Yeah, exactly. Like beyond that, I really yeah, want an like, hour and a yeah, half. That's okay. Exactly, okay. It, right. right. It was, she was the hardest i mean i should put this into context for the listeners uh-huh. i'm not going to be able to properly explain the exact kernel of the story well enough to to put out in front of you guys but obviously it's the story of riley who moves from minnesota age 12
6: mm-hmm.
3: with her family 11, to yeah. san francisco she's 11 i apologize mm-hmm. which is obviously where you're from pete originally minnesota yeah which we'll probably come back to in a minute and it's told from her perspective and also with inside her her mind yeah
4: because she's kind of the setting Yes. You know, for this story, because the, the mind world and the characters in there, her emotions, are really the, the main characters of, this, of the movie.
3: Yes, there's not really any kind of precedent for this, apart from perhaps Woody Allen's Everything You Wanted <laughs> to Know About Sex But We're Afraid to Ask, which is, I must stress, nothing like this movie. <laughs> there are, there are a
4: number of things people kind of bring up, like Herman's Head, which I have, uh, have actually never seen. Uh, there's the, the short film... and
5: um, Emotion. Yeah, that came Disney out in the film. 40s. Right. But,
4: you know, there's nothing that's been quite constructed in this way, hopefully. Yeah. That was our goal, to do something new.
3: Yeah, it's an unbelievably amazing way of creating the sort of internal landscape of the mind, which is such a phenomenally complicated thing, obviously. And your film is that it's kind of being analyzed by psychologists. And I don't know if you've read any of the pieces in newspapers and they're like, we've got a top you know, emeritus professor yeah. from Harvard
4: to <laughs> study inside <laughs> out
3: and tell us that it actually yeah. really accurately represents the human mind. It's like, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, animals. we got a
4: Harvard professor to go see a Pixar film. That's yeah, that's,
3: that, we're proud of that, <laughs>
4: whether they liked
5: it or not. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, we did a lot of research. I mean, obviously when we this idea came about, we wanted to learn more about the mind and memories and, and of course, emotions. So we spoke with, with a lot of folks um, about that and what, you know what the geography of the mind might be, or how many emotions are there, and what are their clinical definitions. And mm. and, and we found there was great debate on that specific topic, and um, which gave us a little license, I think, to be interpretive. I mean, Pete yeah, said early ones? on that this thing should be the mm. mind, not the brain, literally. Right. So we got to be metaphorical things, but that was, I guess, a bit of a blessing and curse. Yeah. It was open-ended and fun and explorative, but it was also open-ended. And fun and <laughs> yeah, cool. we had to, yeah. Forced herself to close doors. Yeah.
3: One of the things I really loved about it was that it kind of it, it shows the point of sadness. Well, not right. to make it sound like Lars von Trier's Antichrist, but you know, <laughs> right. there's a moment where Riley becomes depressed, and, and and sadness is her sort of almost her escape back to back to herself a little bit, and and sadness has a role, and you show the flip side of these emotions and how joy yeah. can be kind of frustrating and sadness can be important. I wonder, from a filmmaking point of view, which is the least useful of the emotions hmm. represented in the film. Well, uh, hmm. I mean, anger and disgust, anger I guess, are the sure two is candidates, but I think I, is there it, a place for them all?
4: Hopefully anger is in there. Disgust, probably less so, although there are plenty of films that, have, that play with that a lot. Yeah.
5: <laughs> well, okay, Dr. Paul Ekman, yeah. right, who we worked with, um, who's a who's sort of pioneering uh, figure in, in emotions and descriptions and so forth, he would tell you anger is... Really important right, right, I mean, but uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, I guess oh, for the film you know, the there story? there are
4: plenty of films that make you angry right I see They're yeah. probably uh, as I think about, it, okay, so there are a lot of gross out humor mm. that de- depend on disgust, but angry <laughs> like you, you as a filmmaker, you don 't really want your audience walking out angry, so <laughs> i I would choose you
3: But there are filmmakers who are known for being quite, can be incandescent on set, for instance, and some who are very placid.
4: Making, through the process, yeah, Yeah. anger really drives you in a lot of ways. Does it? Uh, Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I mean, a lot of times you you get frustrated by the process and you're like... "Ah, you know, why is this so hard? And why can and and that sort of powers you through that anger, um, uh, or or you know sometimes frankly we'll get notes that I just really upset me uh, in some way, and what you realize later is uh, that's because I was not being clear, mm. and I I interpreted this note as as directed towards me in an unfair way, and that's actually the trigger for anger is is um, if if you feel like you're getting taken advantage of or, or mm. ripped off or something, so. Um, uh, it can be a, mm-hmm. a real driver same with fear you know you, there was a big change in the film that we made based on the feelings of fear that crap we're going to get fired we're going to you know this I'm, I'm a failure I'm I, you know that that sense not that it was I was at any point literally thinking I'm get fired at all but
3: that sense of failure is a big driver and uh, yeah
5: that it's not going to work yeah and
3: that's on you and us and yep yeah would you, John as a producer and, and Pete as the writer director you guys work together obviously on Up as well yeah. and I wondered um, I mean Up is something that's become it's almost like before Up there was Bambi's mum and now there's the first ten minutes of Up <laughs> and nice. and I mean that in the in the in the highest possible complimentary way it's okay. something that's that's still incredibly powerful to people did you have a sense of its cultural do you have a sense of its cultural importance it's almost like people talk about that. First ten minutes as a film in itself, it's, as well as the bigger film around it.
5: Yeah, we we you know it's really nice hear you say it. We've heard that qu- quite a bit, and and uh, it comes up it comes up in talking about film. I've heard it you know in film discussions, and it the for a reason it moved you know it worked it landed it landed. And I knew when when you guys first pitched it to me, you and Ronnie, Bob. Uh, I, and Bob Peterson, I knew it was I knew it was really important, and if we did our job right, it, it could be really obviously important to the movie, but I, even reaching outside of the movie, we're really proud of it because it's. I, I love that it's silent and it speaks to what animation does really well. Right, it's, it's, it's performance and storytelling just visually. Mm. Even the uh, way we approached it production wise, Jonas, you, yeah. you, you kind of set
4: it up as its own little short film.
5: It's like its own movie within uh, the movie.
4: Yeah, with uh, people who are devoted to it. In part because there were so many different sets and things, just procedurally, it, it seemed to work that way. But also, it was such a jewel that that uh, we wanted to make sure it didn't get
3: must have. Yeah, we didn't
5: <laughs> want to focus on the objects like the desks and the set and the wall in the hospital mm-hmm. on its own. We wanted to focus on it as a cut.
4: Yeah, you know, so that's yeah. how this we. This is just a pure it.
3: form of filmmaking, just knowing what. Thank put it you the so much.
4: Within well, because it context. worked in boards, and and Ronnie Del Carmen who boarded a lot of it, and as we would rework it, got added to it and changed and. Refined because it started out quite long, and we cut it down eventually to four and a half minutes. But, like, you know, we, we knew that it worked in boards. In fact, we, as a couple people suggested, don't even produce it. Just release the, the hand-drawn boards, because they were uh, thinking that. really beautiful. I
5: remember thinking that. I think why it, it has resonated is because, and it speaks and it gets back to Inside Out, it's it's something that you don't expect from animation, I think. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that the audience saw and they were not used to this. What is this? This doesn't feel like an animated movie. It's something new. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was something completely different and that's what really fuels us, whether it's emotions coming to, to life or, or imagination land or all these fun things is like showing the audience something that they might not expect to see. Even within the medium, you know,
3: and, you know, an old man and the story of a life and his life, that, that was, you know, that was new to people. This film is full of those things. You know, I mentioned the, the moment of depression you don't expect to see in an animation. Hmm, I don't right. want to make this film sound like it's depressing. It's not, but there is a moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe there's, there, there's been a, a, a small sense in, in recent years that, that Pixar maybe lost a, a little bit of that, perhaps, you know, with... with becoming more, making more sequels perhaps, and mm-hmm. films that haven't landed quite as hard as some of the others. Hmm. Is there, did you have a sense of that within the organization? <laughs> Is that something that, that increases pressure on a film like Inside Out to deliver?
4: Well, I think every film we approach with our all, you know, we give everything we've got into it. And uh, you know, the sequels uh, are re- very difficult and challenging, almost more so in some ways, than right. the originals. Um, so we don't really differentiate and put them in a separate bucket or anything. Um, but, you know, uh, every film is an organic, weird, it has its own kind of life to it. And it, you know, you you can't control these things to some, to every level that you'd like, you know. Um, so you just try your best. You put everything you've got into it. And some work for people. Some, I mean, every film I think people uh, have, have liked, you know, in some way. Um, but some films seem to speak louder than other films, I guess.
3: San Francisco is Pixar's town. Are you a little yeah. myth that every other movie in town has decamped San Francisco this year <laughs> and tried to destroy it? You know, it's funny. As people have said,
4: watching our film... They're waiting for the bridge to get blown up or something. <laughs> yeah, right? It doesn't yeah. happen. That's <laughs> why it's in movies.
5: No, it's... it's, it's <laughs> Strangely, yeah, the people in San Francisco seem to like those movies. Yeah. it's getting destroyed, Oh, they do? Getting destroyed <laughs> for some reason.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we need to get Godzilla into the next pixel. Yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. in the background. Yeah. It's an Easter egg. Um, Toy Story 4... Yes. Uh, who had the first conversation where was the first moment that was raised within Bixar
4: you know that was in John's office and we were actually John Andrew and myself were there to talk about something on one of our one of our shows yeah uh, but then somehow the I don't even remember exactly the conversation. It got derailed and ended up coming with this idea that John got super excited about. and That's, that's what how things work there, right? We start off on four. one thing and yeah. you know, the conversation. to So the conversation
3: out, started with something else totally. and ended up with you guys making Toy Story It was not intended. Four. Yeah, exactly.
4: Wow. Yeah. It was, there are was, there was certain ideas that have been kicked around uh, as part of the... I mean, all Toy Story 2 and 3 kind of grew out of elements that we had developed in Toy Story 1. Same kind of thing here where this had a, uh, an inkling of something that had been discussed before with John and, and Joe, I think. Um, but, and John was just looking for the right way to kind of land it, and uh, uh, somehow it
3: sprung out. Wow. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Well, co- I'm, you're not going to tell me any more about it at this Course point, not. I'd imagine, but, no. uh, you know, we can ask. Um, I've got <laughs> two, two very quick fi- final questions, yeah. John. It's one for you. Is, yes, does sir. Pizza Planet do a broccoli pizza? Because <laughs> broccoli w- pizza is is Riley's sort of bete noir nemesis in this film, really. Yeah, she's not very happy with the
5: with the pizza selection where they've just moved. I don't think Pizza Planet would. No. Pizza Planet would have good old fashioned greasy pepperoni, pepperoni pizza. The the that does. Like that's, that's what she <laughs> was craving and unfortunately yeah. they end up in a neighborhood without that.
3: And what and Pete, one final one for you, what is it that you and Riley both would miss most about Minnesota? Uh the mosquitoes. No. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I probably, um, this is, I'm looking for something
4: entertaining because all the schmaltzy answers are coming to the people. The people no, are great. the
3: schmaltzy's fine. Uh,
4: yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It's, it's, Minnesota is a land of nice people. They're just
3: really pleasant people to be around. And, uh, you know, I think that, that's yeah. what they're going to miss. So the Coen well, brothers went to Minnesota to make Fargo and you went to San Francisco to make Inside Out. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what that <laughs> says. but <laughs> Yeah, that's very of- interesting. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for uh, chatting. And best of luck with thank the movie. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And everyone can believe what he says because you can trust him. He's a doctor.
0: That's right. (laughs) Yes. Now it's time to talk about Inside Out, which is, of course, the story of an 11-year-old girl called Riley whose family moves to uh, San Francisco from their Minnesota home. And she's having trouble uh, adjusting. But we see this through the medium of the tiny little emotions who live in her head, uh, who go on their own adventure. And uh, we see the consequences that has for Riley or perhaps vice versa who knows so dan
2: oh I, I, it's an amazing film yes it's 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 lovely i mean I, if if I, i'll get the kind of you know the kind of curmudgeonly negative stuff out of the way first i felt it was a little bit familiar in terms of the plot structure uh, you know two mismatched people in this case joy and sadness uh, get displaced and have to go on a journey uh, together so it had that kind of you know buddy, buddy, Odyssey kind of thing that you got from, obviously, Finding Nemo and that you got from Up and that you get from Toy Story and pretty much every Pixar except maybe The Incredibles. So it, it had a little bit of that. And for, for a little while, while I was watching it, I kind of had that sort of curmudgeonly analytical, like, well, I'm not sure. But you just, it's it, the emotionality of it is, is that even a word, emotionality? It is I th- now.
0: I think it's something that they t- use in Tropic Thunder, Dan. So yeah. congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're now... <laughs> <laughs> Quoting Kirk yeah. from Tropic Thunder.
2: Yes, I'm not saying this review. This review is saying me. Anyway, back to back to Inside Out. Um, I, I just thought it was. It's, it's a film about emotions. that's a ma- massively uh, emotional and colourful and vibrant. And it, it kind of has Gilliam's t- touch. You know, touches to it as well. Like this kind of you know things going down up and down tubes. It's kind of this nice sort of elegant steampunkishness to it inside her head. But also, it just felt very true. And uh, in terms of um, you know what happens as you grow up as you move from childhood you know as you move out of childhood into you know teenagerhood yes. and how you, you your emotions change and how your mind actually changes you know what, what's actually going on and it's a wonderful representation of that on, on a on a on a personal level you know i've you know, i've actually got a kid who's slightly younger than that age and it's a boy not a girl but so much felt familiar and I tell you what really felt familiar you know this is the spooking as a father I but you know that that, that bit where they sat round the dinner table and she's being stroppy with them and the mum's kind of looking at the dad saying you need to come in here and the dad's obviously he's you know his head's off in la 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 right, and honestly everything about it was absolutely nailed on it's like my you know that was my life and that thing where you know obviously anger is controlling the control board of the dad and that is absolutely you know i can't think i mean james is controlled by anger i am controlled by anger and um and the way he's like right that's it putting the foot down that kind of thing and it's 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 like a scene from my life yeah um so That that kind of thing. And it's also like the the kind of the little touches. So it's basically about a family that moves to San Francisco for a job. How many animators at Pixar is that true of? (laughs) Right?
0: Yes. If you have to write what you know, they're definitely writing what you know. They're doing that.
2: Absolutely. I think there's quite a few in-jokes in there. But I also kind of like the way that so many movies are going to San Francisco at the moment, but it's supposed to be this amazing place that gets trashed, right? I like the way that a San Francisco doesn't get trashed in this film, and B is actually presented as a horrible place to live.
1: They put broccoli on pizza. Yeah,
0: they've ruined pizza.
1: First the Hawaiians, mm. now San Francisco.
2: But also great, great, great voice performances. Amy Poehler as Joy yeah. is is yes. is fantastic. A joy, and even. Richard Kind, uh, who has been in, uh, he was in um, A Bug's Life, wasn't he? Was. He? Uh, he is Bing Bong, who is the surprise character of this film, not so much of a surprise now as it was when I saw it many, many, many months ago
0: You are insufferable, carry on. Uh,
2: Yes. on uh, We didn't know he was going to appear in it and um, he's like, yeah, he's like something from Yellow Submarine to look at He's it's, mm. it's just like, you know, he's come from this sort of 60s psychedelic kind of th- th- place um, He's the imaginary friend and he's a great character, and I won't say too much, but he's very important to the, as I said earlier, the emotionality oh, of the film. I
0: keep saying that. The word. emotional
2: reality, emotionality. Yeah. Shall I stop gushing now?
0: No, I. I well, I want to gush. So, so maybe actually. Go. Um, I just think this is yeah. It's it's an absolutely beautiful film. It's. We've, we've talked, ever since Shrek came, came out, people have been talking about kids' films that also work for adults. And usually that just means that there's a few off color jokes some, somewhere that will go straight over the kid's head and the adult will laugh at. And that's usually what that means. This film is a film that has two completely separate levels to it, where the kids are watching some brightly coloured characters go on an adventure through a brightly coloured place. And the adults are watching... Completely different film that just happens to be happening at the same time, and and there's so much to be unpacked in this film in terms of, you know, the way the brain is structured, and uh, you know the way they re- represent these emotions, the way they represent what emotions can do. There's one point where they they show a representation of what depression looks like and what depression, high depression, depression affects you, which is absolutely stunning, and I I think which which will do a huge amount to help people sort of understand that disease. Um, there are you know, things to be unpacked. I think I feel like people are going to write theses about this film. I honestly think people are going to sort of sit and analyze it and go, well, why is that emotion in control of that person? Because we do see emotions inside the heads of other characters other than Riley. Mm. Um, so obviously, she's a kid, Joy is in charge. We kind of get that. But why is sadness in charge of somebody else? Why is anger in charge of somebody else? As you as you touched on, mm. um, it's just it's fascinating. And what's what's been interesting has been all of these psychologists and neuroscientists and all these kind of yeah. people coming out of the closet. To say yes, this is. a I mean, obviously it's simplified. Obviously it's it's cartoonish, but it's it's actually pretty sound in terms of how we understand ourselves to work. So it's a film about becoming mature. It's a sort of coming of age story, but with, mm. without the usual. Well here's what we learned at the end it's it's actually much deeper and much cleverer It's a than film
2: that. about the death of childhood
0: Yes and what it, <laughs> no, I would say I would say I would put it differently I would say it's just you know what it means to grow up and what you gain when you grow up that you don't have as a child mm. what you begin to see you begin to see I guess nuance and mm. you know.
1: But it's, it's, this is a very personal film for Doctor, though, isn't it? Because the whole point of it was, I think this came about originally, he said, because he was looking at his teenager and trying to fathom what on earth was going on inside their head. Yeah. Uh, and this is sort of his attempt to sort of almost represent that, sort of how, you know, cognitive function develops as you get older and why things that as an adult you say that make perfect sense mean something completely different to the child you're talking to. Yeah. Um, so it's fascinating to sort of, you know, it's, it's a little glimpse inside his head as well, which is quite Absolutely. Uh, quite nice.
0: Um, and a giant giant head it is so that was Inside Out which we gave uh, five stars to as you might have guessed already watch it but, immediately but seriously it's really really good okay we've got quite a few uh, films to talk about next but um, let's maybe talk about Eden next because it's sort of it sort of links in well there, yeah there's a
2: sim- there is a similarity it's obviously a completely different film just to explain Eden is actually probably one of my favourite films of wow. this year it's a French film it's by uh, Mia Hansen Love um, who uh, is, a, is, is a very good deft kind of dramatist. But she has made a film where she wanted to basically capture the music scene in Paris in, from the nineties, really. The kind of the growth of the French touch house scene. Okay? Now you're looking at me like, how the hell has this got anything to do with Inside Out? But, no, um, I, was oh, actually, okay. I
0: was actually looking at you like this sounds like your kind of film Dan because you have been known film. to enjoy a little dance to some well, house I, music
2: I was. I am literally the same age the exact same age as the main character of this film whose name is Paul, played by Felix de Givry and uh, he's a DJ and he plays house music and he's enjoying the exact same music that I was into at the exact same time except in London, Leeds, Manchester so there's a, there's a connection even though I was never part of or I never partied in Paris in the 90s or anything like that um but it's this is another film about growing up. This is another film about uh, the difficulties of you know uh, adulthood, if you like, uh, of uh, he, he starts older. He's in his late teens, early 20s, obviously than the character of Riley, but it's it's very much a, a film about it's kind of I took I took the message of the of, of the movie and I actually said this in my, in my review for Empire. It's almost like living the dream might not be the best thing for your life. You, 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 uh, you know, in the same way that Inside Out is like, you know, joy should not necessarily define everything we do. It's, it's life is more complicated than that. So what it does is it actually ends up. It follows this guy. And This film's over two and a half hours long. Not wanting to put anyone off, but uh, it's it it follows this guy's life as he as he goes from his twenties into his thirties, from his thirties into his forties, and alongside perfectly capturing the music scene, it also follows his relationships he can't settle down he is like stuck in a groove if you like uh-huh. he's partying enjoying himself but he's not setting anything else up in his life he can't root himself so he actually goes through a, a, a series of girlfriends in his life and we know that one of them is Miss, Mrs Wright but she you know it doesn't work out that way one of the girlfriends by the way is played by uh, Greta Gerwig So she has a kind of uh, cameo appearance in this film.
0: So it's got that kind of indie cred immediately.
2: It has that kind of indie cred immediately. But uh, uh, she's great. But my favourite thing about it is Daft Punk. We all know Daft Punk. James, even you know Daft Punk. Yes, I do. Excellent. There are characters in it because um, Paul, the main character, is based on Mia Hansen's love. Mia Hansen loves brother, Sven. Sven. Um, who is a real DJ, and most of the stuff that happens in the film is based on his life. So it, Daft Punk are characters in it, and they're great. I mean, they're almost like these kind of you know comedy characters on the fringe. There's this amazing scene where they they turn up, and obviously they haven't got their robot helmets on. We never seen them as robots in the film. They turn up at a club, and the do- doorman goes, "Who are you?" And they say their they say their names, you know, uh, Guyman and Thomas. And the doorman goes, "No, you're not on the list. You can't come in." And they sort of look at him and go, "Really, we're not on this And they go, "He looks and goes, No, 'No, you're not on the list.'" And they go. Oh man, okay, all right, and they sort of shrug and start slinking off until someone runs up and goes to the door and goes, that's "Daft Punk, that's Daft Punk," and he goes, "What? They're Daft Punk?" and they're like, <laughs> "Quick, quick, get them in, get them in!" And it's, it's it's a great monologue about showgirls in it. You know, there's there's a lot of humour in it. There's tragedy in it. I really loved it, and I really do strongly recommend it. It's a wonderful piece of counter programming this week for for Inside Out.
0: Oh, excellent! And yeah. that got how many stars?
2: Four. I gave it four.
0: Four stars. Yeah,
2: didn't get the didn't get the in five because because I kind of the the very ending. Uh, didn't Actually, ironically, the very ending didn't feel that real to me, but since having seen it, I've met Sven Hansen-Love, whose life it is based on, uh-huh. and actually how it ended is, is how, how he is now. <laughs> so it's actually, that is based on real life, so uh, maybe maybe I kind of misjudged that. But
0: Interesting, though. Mm. So if you're in the mood for uh, I'm feeling Francais, well, allez and go see Eden okay next let's turn back to the US and do South Pole which is a new film from Antoine Fuqua and it stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, 50 Cent and Forrest Whitaker and Rachel McAdams. So, James, tell us more.
1: This is a film about Billy the Great Hope, uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, who is the, I want to say, the light heavyweight, which is something I've never truly understood, the light heavyweight champion of the world, uh, boxing. He's an interesting character. His technique for boxing is to let other people hit him until he gets very, very angry and then to beat them into sort of unconsciousness. But it seems to work quite well for him, uh, certainly at the beginning of the film. If anyone has seen the pictures, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal goes through an astonishing uh, transformation in this. I mean, he is ripped. Put it this way, it makes you want to go to the gym. If anyone is familiar uh, with um, Kurt Sutter, who is the showrunner, uh, FX showrunner behind Sons of Anarchy and wrote on The Shield, he is a man who likes to put his protagonist through the ringer and then some. And he certainly does heap the uh, bad luck on poor old Billy Hope. He goes bankrupt. uh, His wife gets killed in a kind of an altercation with another boxer. He loses his daughter. He loses his house. He loses his boxing license i mean literally if there's anything that can go wrong it goes wrong for him and then there's the gradual sort of realignment the gradual sort of building himself back up and, and and so on and so forth it's a good film it's not a great film uh i think it's a fantastic performance by gyllenhaal and i uh, i did enjoy it forrest is also very good he's his trainer um but it never quite lands it for me.
0: I feel like it's a big, soppy melodrama. Mm. Like, I mean, it's a Wallace Beery wrestling picture, like they talk about. Uh, you know, it's- in Barton Fink. In Barton yeah. Fink, yeah. <laughs> it, do, you, do you know what I mean? It has the same broad strokes and really simple dynamics, frankly, of that kind of a film. And I think, you know, it papers over that very simplistic kind of story with violence and, and blood and, and punching. And and a great performance from Jill and Holland, mm. in fairness, a really, really good performance. But but it's it's a it's a big soppy melodrama. Let's not be like if honestly if if, if you replaced boxing with making cakes, <laughs> you know this would be on Lifetime with the exact same
1: story. I I was very sold into the relationship with the daughter. I thought that stuff worked very well. Uh, the pacing was slightly odd to me uh, mm-hmm. in that they dwell, they spend a lot of time on that and he goes back to court and then he goes back to court and then there's a a return to boxing at the end which seems horribly condensed in terms of the chronology um, there's also the difficulty that post, you know, about 90 odd Rocky movies, it's quite difficult to effectively make uh, a boxing match dramatic in a new and exciting way, do you know what I mean I mean, don't get me wrong, it was done very well with MMA and Warrior and actually that works very nicely but yeah, I think it certainly felt to me that Sutter was struggling to, to convey the drama in the match. and I, Without giving away how he does it, he tries a different tack. I, I liked the way they were shot. I think they were very kinetic. As I said, Gyllenhaal is terrifying. He's growling and spitting at the camera. Uh, but, yeah, it lacked a certain oomph. oomph. Yes, oomph. oomph is the word. There's, there's <laughs> not enough oomph. More oomph, Kurt. More oomph, more oomph, more oomph. please. And like as I said, I love Kurt Sutter. I think he's great. So I kind of had hope for it a bit more.
0: Um, so yeah, so that got three stars from it us. Did does that get feel three about stars? Right to you, James? It
1: does feel right to me. Yes, okay. I wish it had been a four-star mm, film. It should have
2: been. A Although four star three stars film. is, of course, a recommendation.
1: A recommendation. It is indeed. As you say.
0: Um, uh, next up, Robert Carlyle, uh, directing, making his directing debut with the Legend of Barney Thompson, which is. Um, the story of uh, another demon barber, because you can never have too many of the those. <laughs> so he's uh, he's on fine form. It has to be said. He also stars in the film as the titular Barney Thompson. Uh, he is uh, a barber in uh, Edinburgh. He apparently went round real barber shops and uh, and talked to them and watched them work and and learned how to barb. cut hair. Yeah, mm. um, but he's but he just you know personally, and to an extent professionally, but but mostly personally, he is hopeless. Like he's just. A sad sack of a man he's a he's a a shadow of a human being um which as we all know Robert Carlyle plays brilliantly yeah. almost as well as he plays complete crazy psychos <laughs> so um so it's wonderful casting well done that director um but he turns uh, he also kind of gets into the slightly darker side because he accidentally murders his boss uh, this obviously is some, presents him with some, something of a dilemma, something of a worry, um, and uh, and indeed uh, Ray Winston plays the, the the cop on his trail, who's convinced that he's uncovered a serial killer on the mean streets of Glasgow and sets out to track him down. So uh, so it's quite a tense situation. I think it's fair to say for Barney, mm. really really good start to this film, really 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 good kind of first, I would say third, maybe maybe almost to the halfway point. It does get a little bit stodgy the plot gets a little bit too involved I think in the second half um and and it sort of bogs itself down but but actually you know as a debut it's it's not unpromising and I would like to see more I should also mention Emma Thompson is is really good in this she is absolutely playing it to the hilt Uh, she plays Barney's horrific awful terrible mother um, I'm not sure she's technically old enough to play Robert Carlyle's what is mother. the
2: age difference between Emma Thompson and Robert Carlyle I mean
0: I would guess it's in the order of five years yeah. I'll be honest yeah. uh, but uh, she is I mean, she she daddies herself up magnificently for the role, and uh, and she does, you know, seriously steal some scenes uh, as his mother. So it's definitely worth watching. But you know, a good cast all round, obviously led by those three, Ashley Jensen uh, also in it, and uh, and we liked it. We gave it three stars, which is a recommendation. <laughs> um, so fingers crossed for more from him in future. Uh, but we have one more film to go. James, I think this should go to you.
1: Ah uh, yes.
0: Yes, it is Arnold Schwarzenegger back it on is. our screens. In Maggie.
1: Indeed, Maggie. This is a very simple story uh it is a story of a of a a father uh wade vogel played by arnold uh whose daughter played by abigail breslin as the titular character maggie has contracted a virus and uh it is in fact a zombie virus and it is going to kill her uh he takes her out of the quarantine zone brings her home so that she can spend her last days with him and his wife her stepmother played by jolly richardson um it is in many ways it's kind of a a sort of very slow burning meditation on death and loss and you know what it means to lose a child and it's it's not a feel-good film the virus itself is called the necroambulatory virus which is perhaps (laughs) the thing about the film i hated the most because that's just latin for walking dead and entirely unnecessary uh we get it we understand um The point being that gradually sort of she becomes more and more ill she starts to get cannibalistic urges she eats a fox you know does the stuff that one normally does uh and then you get sort of brief glimpses at the world outside as to what's happening elsewhere they're burning crops there's starvation there's problems across the across the globe it's an interesting setting the problem is not a lot really happens she gradually gets sort of sicker and sicker he mopes more and more um and it's interesting because i mean you could argue and you wouldn't necessarily be wrong that this is perhaps the best performance certainly the best dramatic acting performance arnold has ever put out you know he plays it as a very sort of stoical you know quiet man you know uh and you can see the sort of like the pain written on his face it's it's very very powerful and while he's brilliant in it i can't help wondering whether a film this sort of slight in terms of scope needed more of a dramatic powerhouse
2: in that role i think dan you suggested someone like jk simmons didn't you or or brian cranston yeah yeah i mean it's interesting that it's arnold yeah and obviously and it's a selling point and it helps the film in a well i mean you you assume it helps the film because it's like arnold what's you know doing this yeah um you know so it's the the, yeah you're right is there might be an expectation it's a zombie movie starring arnold schwarzenegger (laughs) interestingly there is that bit early on where he kills a zombie and and then after that happens there's no more action in the rest of the film pretty much so it's almost like there's a little nod mm. to the kind of film it's almost like a, an in joke saying you think it's going to be this but actually no for the rest of the film it's something completely different uh so it is interesting and i agree with you yes it's actually one of the best performances we've seen from arnold it's very different for him but yeah it's almost what he kind of does from, from what i found he did was he tilt it slightly in the wrong direction because it's him walking around and he is larger than life Mm. that's what he does he's the larger than life guy he's you know he's mount rushmore walking around a set so it's it's or or the matterhorn or whatever so you you kind of like it wrong foots you and it takes away from the naturalistic tone that that the director henry hobson this is his first film he's Mm. british and and actually you know in the style of it's very good it kind of detracts, I thought, too much. You needed a kind of you, you just needed someone who was a you know, more of a character actor, genuinely character actor. Not a star. It's not a star vehicle, is it?
1: it's not, it's not at all and I think there's there's so, I mean there's an awful lot of pressure on him because so many of the shots are just Arnold's face and you need to read the emotion from the expressions on his face and actually he does carry it across but again he he plays it as you know a very sort of man's man stoical feelings on the inside so you see the slight follower of the brow but I wonder whether we wanted to see you know the tortured agony, the kind of silent screams, that's the kind of because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't quite buy the relationship between him and Maggie, Wade and Maggie. Don't uh, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying that it didn't work, but I didn't buy the closeness. I didn't. I didn't feel it. For, so Southpaw, for example, made me cry. The relationship between father and daughter. Not in Maggie.
2: Okay. And Breslin's good though. She is very yeah. good. And yeah, it's, you know, kind it's kind of yeah, it well. I, I think the film should be so subtitled. So your daughter's a zombie, like an educational film. But it kind of it had shades of Ginger Snaps. I don't know if people remember yes. Ginger Snaps, yes, indeed, which well, was also. the kind of the using. Um, uh, obviously, the obvious metaphor for 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 werewolves, you know, for lycanthropy is an obvious metaphor for puberty. Mm. Uh, and there's a sense of this as well that the there's a kind of you know there's there's another metaphor going on in terms of the relevance of her contracting the zombie plague at that age. And uh, there's you know there's a boy in it who's also got the the zombie virus that she fancies and stuff. So you know there's this uh, there's a lot more going on in it outside of you know the Arnold being in it parts. Mm. Um, and, and yes, yes she is good but you're right I never really I never really bought them as, as as father and daughter particularly
1: Richardson though I think is very interesting because obviously not Maggie's mother her stepmother mm. and I think plays that very well because she clearly has a fondness for this girl He's, she's kind of raised her as her own but she has a real palpable wariness understandably because she's got a zombie living in the house but mm. you know there's a particular moment where uh she's looking for a weapon and she grabs a pair of scissors and so when she goes to get eye drops for Maggie she's holding this pair gripping with a death grip onto this pair of scissors in case mm. she needs to defend herself I thought that was a lovely mm. moment
2: I mean it's, it's, it's a welcome fresh take on the zombie genre I mean you know it just goes to show that you can keep making different kinds of films with zombies yeah. in them uh, and at least this one's not a zombie com again
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes enough of those now they've been done okay so that got three stars it, it, from it. Us. three stars again a recommendation but film of the week is with a bullet Uh, Inside Out (laughs) Inside Out followed by Eden and then followed by the others anyway that is it for this week's Empire podcast which was presented in association with Squarespace do stick around at the end as Ali presents you with the science bit and explains all the many ways that Squarespace can help you get your stuff done do join us next week for more film-related fun when we will once again be joined by Chris Hewitt and indeed, far more importantly, celebrity guests. Uh, and we'll be bringing you uh, that one from atop a top of very high thing which we will be hanging off in honour of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation because it seemed the only possible way to pay tribute to that, that franchise now in its fifth film. But that's all from us this week, so it's a goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. From James. Goodbye. And it's a toodaloo from me. I'm off to pitch Hollywood on my idea for a film based on the alphabet. I feel like if we combine these letters into words, it could make something really special.
6: Yes, it's science bit time with your friendly, local, regular editor, Ali Plum. Squarespace, of course, is the fun and easy way of creating your own personal website, portfolio or online store. And guess what? You get a 10% off code with Empire The word to put into the coupon box is Empire, Empire, E-M-P-I-R-E. It looks professionally designed, no matter what your skill level. There's no coding required, easy-to-use tools throughout. It's got state-of-the-art technology powering it to make sure it's secure and stable and not going to, like, fall over in the middle of the night it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world and it starts at just eight dollars a month you can work it out i think about five pounds is about right a month and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year so start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com when you do decide to sign up for squarespace remember empire is the offer code 10 percent off your first purchase Squarespace, as they say, build it beautiful. Thank you for listening not only to this science bit, but to the podcast generally.